Welcome to the aggressive life. Hey, this is Brian Tome. Today, we're going to have a little bit of fun. Maybe it's going to be a little bit different. For starters, it's different because I'm actually in a studio. I am away from what I was doing the last six weeks or so, which was not my normal normal. So I'm back in my normal day job, doing my normal day rhythms, and uh, spending time with Dirt. Hey, Dirt, how you hey, doing there? Hey, BT. We're glad to have you back, man. Uh, it's been a long so... summer without you around here. Uh, you're just saying that to make me feel oh, good. That's right, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you did a great job, I understand. I didn't listen to them because I, I I listened to part of them because I don't, I don't like listening to myself. I'll listen to myself just enough to learn something I need to do better. Yeah, that's right. And then I need to stop because I just depress myself. I really do. It's it's I'm, I always think I'm not articulate enough. I'm I'm stuttering too much. I don't I don't have good dictation. I don't whatever whatever. So I didn't listen to all the ones that you mind, but you did a good job with it and actually the reviews came in fairly positive. Yeah, we had a lot of great feedback on the month of July. We just ran live episodes. We had recorded you one was on an iPhone in a field in Colorado, which was pretty awesome. Uh, one was a, a, a conversation you had in front of a bunch of students. One was in your garage. And yeah, uh, people responded. All The podcast listens were up for the month of July. Wow. When it was just you, no special guest. Just People just want you, BT. Well, no, they... <laughs> It might have been actually whenever I just phoned it in because I didn't do anything for this. <laughs> so maybe that's what we ought to do. The aggressive life is just phone it in and have somebody else do your work for you. Maybe that's just what we do from maybe. now on. I don't know. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> so your summer, did you have any any fun or anything? I had tons of fun. What did you do? Uh, what did you do other than not take a bath? I didn't take a bath because I don't like to. You are uh, dirt. How often do you bathe? Seriously. Uh, I stretch it out as much as I can. <laughs> You do seriously. Yeah, That's try not, to like <laughs> try to like climb in bed, and my wife's like, "Caleb, please go take a shower." It's not really? terrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How long have you had this dirt fetish? <laughs> by the way, <laughs> just uh, showering is just not top of mind for me. I just don't. I just don't think about it a whole lot. So, as a uh, funny story, when we first got married, I uh, turned over one morning after uh, sleeping by my wife, and uh, you know, I was probably trying to get a little frisky. And uh, she turned around. You're trying and, to get dirty? I tried trying to get dirty, dirty with your wife? I, I turned around, and there was something was spraying down on me. She had got a bottle of Febreze, and she was like, Caleb, you smell terrible. And she was literally spraying me, my body, with Febreze, saying, please go take a shower. Wow. So that, that shut things down pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you and the missus do this summer? What, what do dirty people like yeah. you do to, to have a different rhythm well, in the summer? Uh, I got to go down to Atlanta. I actually did a wedding in Atlanta. I was the officiant, but it was at the Georgia Aquarium in front of this huge uh, huge tank at the aquarium. There was, a, there was a whale shark back there, huge manta ray. So I'm literally like doing the ceremony and right behind me, this manta ray like three times the size of me is swimming up past me. Um, and then we got to spend the whole day at the aquarium with the kids. It was super fun. Did that. Went to North Michigan. Hung out for a while there. I camped in Indiana with the kids. So, well, a lot of getting out and doing fun things. Where'd you camp in Indiana? Uh, we went to Indiana Dunes State Park. So we camped at a little campsite, and then we could walk to the beach. And there were all these, obviously, huge sand dunes and stuff the kids play on. So. Sand dunes in yeah. Indiana? Yeah. Yeah. Is it, it's it's it, right on Lake Michigan. It's like down at the bottom. Got it. Okay. It turns I, down there. Yeah. I keep forgetting that because we live, you know, on the southern border of... Yeah, we had to drive through a lot of Indiana to get there, but it was fun. We used to go do a... I actually helped start a camp, it's still going right now, called Surf City Sun Club. Mm -hmm. 
in Michigan, on Lake Michigan. It was actually between Lake Michigan and Stony Lake. We would rent out a uh, an old camp that was basically meatballs. Remember the old movie Meatballs? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the old Bill Murray movie. It was, it was basically a meatballs facility, amazing, vast, vast facility. But that was my first time recognizing, wow, these great lakes, they're like oceans. They're huge, man. And you yeah. have this sand yeah. and you have to actually climb Mount Baldy <laughs> to get to the uh, massive. Yeah. Yeah. The sand dudes are bonkers. So uh, the Great Lakes do feel like an ocean for sure. What did you do this summer? You did some, you did some fun stuff, didn't you? Did you do some things? Yeah, I did. Um, not, not to pull in a word here that's, that's a bit used in our podcast because it's called The Aggressive Life. But I, I, I did kind of make an aggressive move this summer. I, I always, always, for about 20 years, I would take six to seven weeks off every summer to reconnect with my family, to study, to read, to just get into a different rhythm. And I got away from it a few years ago. Partially, I got away from it because I thought, man, I'm feeling so good. I don't know if I need to do that anymore. And a buddy of mine, 512, who's been on here a few times, he said, well, you sound like a person who has bipolar. You start feeling good, and then you don't take your medication. So, But I started like, I don't really need to do this anymore. And then all the COVID and everything else hit and different work rhythms and all that stuff. So I haven't had like a s- exhaustive, serious break for, you know, for, for a long time. And when I got out on it, I just wanted to stay on it. I, you know, I'm not calling you. Sometimes I'd be calling you during those breaks or calling whoever to find out the latest on this and that. And no, man, I was like, I was toast. I just, I didn't realize how much it was until I realized I don't want to engage at all. And then even coming back was really tough. Mm. Like, oh man, I don't know if I'm ready. I, sheesh, can I do this again? But I started getting my sea legs back and did my day job, which was preaching this last weekend. And I enjoyed the heck out of that and had a really great time with it. So my summer was two weeks off, a, a week motorcycle trip, a week with my family in Florida. And then the rest of it was pretty much in my garage rehabbing my Jeep CJ7. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. How far have you gotten on that? What's your what's the what's the latest on the Jeep? We so have we talked about the story of the Jeep here on the podcast. I mean, just a little bit, but why don't you tell us again? All right, or so at for, least tell us where you are now. Yeah, cool. So for new listeners, I had a Jeep in college, a 1978 CJ7 Renegade. And I had to sell it because I just couldn't afford the gas mileage. I was driving to Robert Morse College. I lived in Sewickley, Pennsylvania. I drove up Narrows Run Road, a steep hill, to Robert Morse College and would run out of gas, I think, twice a week on the way to school. I think it was twice a week. <laughs> <laughs> and I finally said, I, I, it was just stressful to get in the car. Yeah. Like, am I going to run out? I can't afford gas. <laughs> All that stuff. So when the guy came to pick it up and he left with it, I said, self, someday I'm going to have one of those vehicles and I don't have to worry about gas. Well, gas prices are pretty bad right now, but um, empty nester, prime income earning years, I've got more disposable income than I ever have had. And so I said, this is this is the time. And I just found myself watching too much Netflix when I'm at home. Like, I don't want to, what else am I going to do? I don't want to watch a movie. I don't really feel like reading. I didn't have really a project. So the project was find the exact same year, 1978 CJ7, find it, bring it to the garage and and rehab everything, mm. everything. So where it is right now is the body is off and it's at a body shop. 
That's the only thing that I haven't done myself. I'm actually thinking about getting it back from the body shop and doing it myself, actually, because it's just sitting there. So you can there. do it all. Uh, so I could yeah, do it all. Right. But I'd have to buy a compressor and and to, for the paint and a bunch of stuff. But it'd be less money than what I'm paying this body shop. But I, I'm, I'm thinking that right now. So the body's off. It's at a body shop. We're ready there. The frame has come off. That's just holds the whole thing together. That went to a buddy shop where we worked on it on weekends. Uh, me, uh, me, Andrew, and Peter welding up the frame was all rotted through. Actually, had to straighten the frame. Had to use a press to straighten it because it was out of square. Yes. I just got that back. Every every single part on the every single part has been on my hands. Wow. Every bolt. Wow. Imagine anything. Every single part, every single bolt has been in my hands, including every single thing in the I've torn the engine apart. Everything is wow. out of the engine. So right now the engine block is at a as at a uh, machine shop where they're figuring out uh, what we're gonna do with the block itself. Does it get honed or bored, bored out, all that stuff? What parts do I want to replace on it? And I'm gonna do it all myself. And the the frame is back in my garage. It's back on top of the axles, which are reconditioned. Every seal, every bearing, every, every, everything, everything, whatever sealed bear in the entire vehicle is being replaced or has been replaced. Um, and so that's where it is right now. It's a, it's a, it's a frame that's wow. fully reconditioned and painted gloss black on top of leaf springs and on top of axles, and that's as far as it is right Are now. Are you even thinking about when it might be finished, or is that just so far off? You're like, I don't even know yet. Uh, I, th- I think I actually might be, I'm either partially OCD or partially ADHD. Because but you started it, another one. Y- no, <laughs> no, no, I haven't started another one, but... My focus, part of the thing with ADHD is you do have hyper-focus on the things you want. On the one, like one or two things or something? Yeah. yeah. Right. So I've had pretty good focus on this. It's going faster than I than I thought. So maybe maybe this spring. Wow. Maybe this spring I'll be, I'll be, I'll be having it on the road. It should be like a side gig for you now. You can just start turning cars around. Well, that's what I'm already thinking. I'm already wondering. I've had such fun with this. What do I do next? Do I do another Jeep? Because I do a lot faster and cheaper probably next time. Do right. I do, uh, what do I do? I, I don't know. So, but that doesn't have, this has the the emotional thing in my history right. of it's going to look exactly, exactly like I had in college, except better, new, you know, all painted, which is also another one of the interesting things I had to think through and process through is this is what's called a resto mod. Okay. Tell me what that means. Okay, so a restoration, a complete restoration is when the car looks and acts exactly the way it did when it came off the showroom floor. So a full restoration would be, this would be like 1978. It's a brand new off the the floor. Everything is actually exactly the same, okay? A resto mod is you're restoring it, but with modifications. So you're not wanting to go right exactly to the factory. In restoration, you want the numbers on the on the engine block matching the numbers mm. that are on the frame, matching mm. the numbers okay. that are stamped in the VIN number yep. on your body, right? Because you want it to be just just like just that. Like, yep. When you're in a resto mod, I don't know, maybe I'll put a bigger, bigger engine in or something yeah, so like that. it's going to be like a little bit better than it was. Right, yeah. right. And so the application of that to my day job is, which is a senior pastor at Crossroads, we've been rebuilding crossroads uh, for, I don't know, for a year or so. And I don't mean just rebuilding as it relates to COVID. 
Crossroads in some ways started to go stale and started to, I don't know, lose some of its taste a few years ago. And so I've had to wrestle with, wait, is this the restoration? Like, what's that mean? A restoration back to when Crossroads was growing 30% every year, year after year after year, like restoring back to... Back to what? Back to when we had a video projector in 1996? <laughs> yeah. Right. And I realized, no, it's not a restoration. No. I don't, I don't want to go back in time and be the crossroads of five years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And so this vehicle is hmm. basically an illustration for that for myself of what I want the vehicle to be right now. I don't want the CJ7 I had in 1984 or 85 I want a CJ7 I want now. So the suspension is better than it was when I had it back then. I'm making some engine modifications that will make it better than the original 304. I have some instrumentations can be a a little bit better. I've got a Bluetooth. I'm going to have a Bluetooth stereo. That definitely wasn't part of it. That definitely was was not part of it. I mean, it's not (laughs) going to be like Apple CarPlay, but there's going to be – I've kind of got my rocks off geeking off on that and thinking about it. Well, what do I want the thing that I leave my day job? What do I want it to look like in today's world? Not bitching and moaning about what it isn't anymore. Not bitching and moaning about, well, why can't things be the way they used to be? Oh, let's just turn back time. No, I don't want to turn back time. Let's be better than that. Yeah. Yeah, it's be better than that. Let's yeah, go forward. That's right. So I think God's used that to just spark things in me and bring me back to life in many ways. I love it. I love it. Well, it's great to catch up with you. I'm going to jump into a short conversation real quick to end this time. Yeah. So we got a guy who's coming highly recommended. Name is Curtis Chap Browder. This is a dude who's uh, kind of been through it. <laughs> you want to talk about a guy who's who's made some really aggressive choices in his life and done some really, um, really unusual things. This guy's had a history dedicated to people who were incarcerated, a history of being aggressive in a godly way. And so uh, let's go and talk to Curtis Chap Browder. On Sunday morning, September 15th, 1963, an explosion rocked the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. The explosives, planted by local KKK members, killed four girls inside the church and set shockwaves throughout the nation. By that time, Curtis Chap Browder had moved away from Alabama, but the news shook him to the core. He recognized the names of the victims. They were kids from the neighborhood where he grew up. One victim's parents had been his teachers. He vowed if he ever met the man or men who did this, he'd kill them. Years later, he was asked to serve as Alabama's first African-American state prison chaplain. In his first day on the job, he was visiting the sick and dying when he walked into the room of Robert Chambliss, also known as Dynamite Bob. He was one of the four men responsible for the church bombing. But by this time, Chap Browder was a changed man. Instead of taking his revenge, he pulled up a chair, ministered to the man, and prayed with him. For half a century, Chap Browder has dedicated his life to serving the unfree and the unfed. He's not only made history in Alabama, but he continues to work even after retirement. 
He boldly walks into some of America's darkest places and death rows to minister to the men and women there. He personally organized housing for the formerly incarcerated, collects food to feed the hungry, and offers his hand to anyone in need. Chap Router is the definition of an aggressive man. He's quietly gone about his incredible life, and I'm honored to bring his story today here on The Aggressive Life, all the way from Alabama. Welcome to The Aggressive Life, Curtis Chap Browder. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Brad. Appreciate it. <laughs> Man, Appreciate it. Good to be with you. The KKK, are they still a thing? Well, uh, it's, it's the same. Uh, they're still here today. They're still around today. They're still around today. I gotta, I gotta think their membership is a lot less than it used to be. Yes, no. Ah, uh, well, it has grown to be. It has spread it from the south to the north, east, and west now. So it's, it's all over. It's worse now than it was then, Brian. It is worse now. How, yeah. how do you, yes, how do you say why? It's not just on. It's just not on. Just not on people of color. It's on people against people. So what happened when you, between when you vowed that you were going to take physical vengeance on the people who killed those children, what happened in you between that point and the point when you bumped into Dynamite Bob? Just tell us that story, how that all came down. Well, in 1966, I was drafted into the United States Army, Okay. I was living in New York City, okay, and I was stationed in Denver, Colorado in 67. And I was there when I felt I really was converted. And when I felt the love of Jesus and I accepted him, that's what gave me a change of heart, change of mind. So it was your walk with Christ that caused you to have a different heart and a heart of forgiveness versus vengeance? It was my change of heart. How old, how old are you now, Curtis? Two, three more months, be 80. 80 years old. Man, you had a really, really interesting perspective on babysitters, your family babysitter, was a person who served time for murder. Come on now. You can't be having babysitters in your house who've killed people, or can you? Why would you do that? Well, she was a, a young lady that had failed between, between cracks, and at that time she had no place to go, and she had was being released from prison, and they called her Chaka Khan, and she was a bad lady. She was, she cut up people. So they asked me, would I take her? And I asked my wife, and she said, she will take her. Not knowing that she really had such a history, okay? It's, you know, hatchet woman. They call her the hatchet baby. So we took into our home uh, to babysit our children. And you trusted her to a person who wielded a hatchet, your children. Yes, I did. I did trust her because she. this is what she needed. She needed someone that was trusted. So we were able to 
agree to go home, and he was sitting at you and stay with us. You saw her turn to be a very fine lady. That's a pretty aggressive move to say, I've got a woman here who's done harm to people, but she needs the trust. That's what I'm hearing from you. You said she needs the trust, but you're putting your children at risk. I mean, people don't do that these days, right? Shoot, we can't we can't put our kids at risk. They gotta have a seatbelt on and helmet at all times. Brian, I I believe you're full of gospel. He said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Here I am in with these creatures that I preach to every day that change their hearts and life. And if I win a person to Christ, regardless if he's on death row or where, I believe he's a new creation. And I believe that Chaka Khan, she bowed out on her knees in my car that day. I believe that she was a new creation. So I took him to my home. Today's podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. It's a product I use every day. I started taking AG1 because I don't watch my diet too closely, but I know that I'm getting all the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients I can, as well as hydrating with 12 ounces of water right off the bat at the beginning of the day. One scoop of AG1, it's got 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens, and it doesn't taste like it. It actually tastes great. AG1 is a micro habit with big benefits. For less than $3 a day, you can take care of your health and invest in your future. It's recommended by professional athletes, health experts, and me. (laughs) To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packets with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash aggressive life. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash aggressive life to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. So go get you some and let's get back to the show. Man camp. They haven't sponsored this podcast because they're not paying Jack for this podcast. Not like, unlike Athletic Greens, thankful for them. But man camp, hey, I tell you what, I would be really, really remiss if I didn't just take some time out right now to say to all of the masculine types here in this podcast, if you've been to man camp, you need to freaking go. I'm telling you right now, just go. Stop thinking about it. Stop researching about it. 40 different states have signed up so far for the man camp that's October 21st to 23rd. Have fun. Smile, laugh, push yourself, meet some new dudes, have perhaps some transcendent spiritual experiences that might happen for you. Friends, I got got to tell you, man, I want to see there. It's one of the most important weekends of your life. It may be the most defining and important weekend of your life. Push yourself, get out there, go to mancamp.us. Registrations close 9.15 midnight on September 15th. Can't wait to see you there. You will thank me. Get there. Stop procrastinating. Chop, chop. So in 1978, you were asked to become Alabama's first African-American prison chaplain by then-Governor George Wallace, who's pretty well known for embracing segregation and racism. 
Segregation today? Segregation forever. Well, That's what he believed in. Oh, is that what he said? Segregation today, segregation forever? So why, <laughs> why does he appoint you? Well, that's the mystery of it all. Um, at that time, uh, Rand, we, we only had 4,500 men incarcerated. We only had three prisons, two for men and one for women. But today we have over 27,000. So they had a white chaplain that was the head chaplain, and they were going to have two more chaplains. So they reached out to a black chaplain. And I was happy to be working at the institution as a volunteer. And my name came up downtown in the commissioner's office. They gave it to the governor and they appointed me. Did you ever have any personal interaction with George Wallace? Not before the time that he called for me in 1980 to come and do an invocation for him, I thought. But uh, so he called me to come on vacation and told me to bring my family. Huh. Where he invited me to was one of the richest communities in Alabama. Huh. At that time, now he was paralyzed from waist down. He was in a wheelchair. He had been shot. Huh. And he was paralyzed. So I'm thinking I'm going to a party or some kind. He was there waiting for us. And when I got in the door, he said, come here. Bring the children over to me. <laughs> and I did. He put one of my children on the left knee and one of them on the right. He hugged us all and said, forgive me for what I've done to things. Wow. Wow. I can see you right now. You're smiling like a butcher's dog telling that story. Yeah. I, call, I call it the best kept secret. Alabama. Man. What happened? I gave the speech one day last year at Alabama State University. And I told him the story. And guess what? His daughter was in the audience. Wow. <laughs> and she said, I remember that day. She didn't even know what he said to me, but she remembered the invitation. And the people, what he did to me was not an open confession, but to us. Five of us. Man. So you are a retired chaplain. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> what would people be surprised to know about what a chaplain does or what a chaplain sees? A chaplain goes beyond the call of his duty uh, in every aspect of a man's life. Okay? When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed. A chaplain does it all. And in my chaplaincy, uh, uh, 51 years, I've done it all. Well, one of the things you did was in 2016, after having been retired for quite some time, you got invited to a prison to broker a deal after there was a riot and an officer was found dead as a result of it. Why do they turn to you in a situation like that? When, I, when the commissioner called me, he said, we have problems at home in prison. Can you come? I said, sure, I can come. He said, well, go down, just see the board, and he said, take it with the 
So I walked in the whole prison, which is death row, and all the hard criminals there, and uh, I didn't know the lady. When I walked into her office, she began to cry. She said, I'm so glad you're here. I heard about you. And now I need your help. And she gave me a big key. And she said, do what you have to do. And I stayed in that prison almost three years, sometimes four days a week. I would even sleep in that prison. And the first day that I was there, all the men knew I was there. And I addressed the issue. Okay. And I took up knives, we took up dope, took up everything. The warden came out and said that after about three months when I was there, in fact, we did all our baptism and everything right in the dome. We did everything. Myself and two other guys. And they said, you have really changed the culture of this institution. When I go into a prison, I always have the same thought, and that is, man, I could be here easily. Like, I interact with some of these dudes, and they've got tattoos all over them, in large part because maybe they got them in prison, they got nothing better to do. But I see the humanity in them, like myself, and I think to myself, man, I'm one bad decision, one bad day away from being in the same place. Do you think that's a normal reaction that people have? Because I feel that way. Do, do you think that's normal? Well, I, I, I would say so, but, uh, but to me it wasn't that way because I should have been there. And I believe that God spared my life and kept me clean so I could go in and spread the gospel. So I go in now uh, knowing that something good is going to happen. <laughs> something good going to happen yeah. uh, because of the anointing not me so what happened when you went in initially and you saw what was his name Dynamite Bob <laughs> what, Dynamite what did, Bob what did you say to him uh, uh, this, he wasn't in prison he was in a hospital oh. okay. Dynamite Bob was the man that I had said in 1965 63 that I would kill him if I saw him. Because he was the one that threw the bomb. And at that time, I meant that. Because that's, what, that's who I was. But at my conversion, I got a change of heart, a change of mind. And now I'm a chaplain. But when they told me I had to go to St. Margaret's Hospital to see a prisoner, I didn't know it was him. So I was doing my my first time being at St. Margaret Hospital because I hadn't been on a job in two weeks. <laughs> and she said, there's a one man inside of the, one of those wards that is handcuffed to bed. He needs your assistance. He wants prayer. So I goes into the room and he's handcuffed to bed. He's in the bed. And the first thing he says to me, I didn't kill those kids. She said, I didn't kill those kids. At 16th Street Baptist Church. He was frail and he was dying from cancer. And instead of me strangling him or trying to choke him, <laughs> I grabbed him by the hand, frail, he was waiting out of bounds, and led him into Christ. Mm -hmm. I think that that's one of the greatest moments of my life. 
That's amazing. Yeah. Let's just let's just imagine that um, all of us are able to spend time with Curtis Chap, the Chaplain Browder, and you were going to give us the lowdown, the basics on what it meant to be a Christian. Lead us. What is that? What's that look like? Well, it's a simple decision. If you're going the wrong way, and you recognize that I'm going the wrong way and I need help. I'm going, I'm headed for up, but I'm, I'm on I-65 north. <laughs> you know, and I and I realized that I was turning around. I was headed to the penitentiary. I was a sinner, and I knew I was going the wrong way. So I simply just turned around. And to be a Christian, the scripture says is that it, it does not yet appear what we should be. But when he appeared, we got to be just like him. So every day of my life, I have to reproduce Christ. And I have to live the Christ that lives in me. It's a joy. I woke up this morning. It's, I haven't had a bad day since 1968. <laughs> <laughs> that's an aggressive move. <laughs> haven't had a bad day since 1968. You know what? That's that's because you're taking control of your day. You're taking control of your mind. You're not being a victim. You're saying, no, it's going to be a good day. But it's not I to live. It's the Christ that lives in me. He said, behold, I stand and do it not. See, Christ, I can't live this life. He lives it in me. <laughs> All I have to do is say, yes, Lord. Curtis, it's been great having you with us here on The Aggressive Life. Is there anything else you want to say or talk about that we haven't touched on? Well, I, you, well, I thank you touched on what we need to touch on because the anointing is up on me, and I could talk all day. <laughs> <laughs> if I had 10,000 tongues, I couldn't tell it all. <laughs> Curtis Browder, thanks for being with us on The Aggressive Life. Hey, and if you've heard you anything, oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's been great to have you. And, and, you know, if all of our listeners out there, hey, man, maybe you need to just have a little bit of a different different perspective on people who are in prison, a different perspective on people who may look different than you, a different perspective on how we treat one another. Don't just have a perspective. Do something with it. That's called being aggressive. We'll see you next time on The Aggressive Life. Thank you, Brad. Hey, thanks for listening. For all things aggressive living, why don't you head over to bryantome.com. Find my new book, Move, a guide to get up and go forward, as well as articles and much, much more. And no matter where you listen to podcasts, why don't you take a second and leave us a rating, leave us a review. It really, really helps us drive new listeners to the show. We want to help as many people as possible, just like we may have helped you. We want to help others. So why don't you help us out? And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram, at Brian Tome. Aggressive Life with Brian Tome is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.